Well, my wife and I, we, as uh, most of you already know, how we traveled down to, uh, not, not traveled down to, uh, traveled across the pond uh, last year to Germany. And of course, one of the, one of the most striking places that we visited uh, during that ministry time was uh, the uh, concentration camp at Dachau. Dachau, Germany, it is a place. And uh, it is a city, and people are still living there. What, you know, just the, uh, the idea of uh, having to live at a place that has such a re reputation like that. But life goes on. But at Dachau, one of the, uh, uh, the realities of what literally happened there is unimaginable in our minds. The, uh, the concentration camp, the, uh, the gas chambers, how people were fooled into going uh, to take showers in mass and being tricked to enter the room and discovering that there was no water to be had, no soap to be had. But as the doors slammed shut and as the doors were locked, that what came out was not waters but was gas to destroy human life. Uh, all the, uh, the ovens that were there, all because uh, one individual didn't like another individual, uh, because one supposedly is weaker than the next. But yet in all the atrocities there was, there were individuals who did have a heart for Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we don't hear about them because of the, the, the big message of that Holocaust. One of those individuals was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor, a, a theologian, in fact, who he was caught because he was him as well as a couple other guys they were trying to plan to get rid of, of the, the mastermind behind that whole deal. So he was captured along as well as some other guys. But his constant talk of doing it for people uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, we cannot forget it. As a matter of fact, uh, before all that had happened, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was actually in New York City. While a lot of this, these things were going on, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in New York City. And guess what? He was in New York City, and uh, he was visiting with a black pastor. One of, the, one of the many people he was with at the time. And uh, so he knew some of the things that were going on back in his hometown, back in his home country. But yet he decided that if what I really believe is true, then I can't stand here in peace and do nothing while all these folks suffer back in Germany. Knowing what could happen to him, he uh, traveled back to Germany and ultimately it ended his life. 
What is the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it cost you? But as a point of clarity, I must first say that there is no charge to believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? It doesn't cost us anyway. It doesn't cost us anything uh, uh, but the will to have faith and to believe in Jesus Christ within ourselves as he opens up that avenue in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That cost was placed solely on the person of Jesus Christ for our benefits. Why? Because we didn't, couldn't, and never will possess enough in our resources to pay our debt back to God. So there, it cost us nothing to be a believer of Jesus Christ. But what does it cost us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Number one, discipleship may cost you perceived security. Discipleship may cost you perceived security. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As a matter of fact, let's just read this entire passage. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, and that him is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, that is, another said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it is easy to romanticize discipleship. It's very easy to romanticize discipleship. I remember how when I was in high school, uh, as a freshman, I mentioned to you last time, they took trips. Well, one of the trips they took beginning in my freshman year was to go to summer band camp. And they went to summer band camp down in Grambling, Louisiana. And, uh, but I couldn't go because I couldn't play well enough. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, I wish I could go because I know it's just going to be so hip, so cool and all this and all that. And they came back and, you know, it seemed like uh, their friendships, their relationship was galvanized. But me, I still felt like an outsider. So the next year, I just knew I was going the next year, right? 
So time comes around for summer band camp, and I'm thinking to myself, man, it's going to be so cool. Get a chance to go down there to the university, play with some college students, and do this and do that, and be away from my parents. And I know it's going to be so, so cool when I get there. They said I couldn't go because I still couldn't play well enough. I'm like, man, I'm like, I know y'all had a good time. They said, yeah, man, it was something else, but it wasn't all what you think. I'm like, no, it had to have been good. But then my junior year comes around, and guess what? Finally, 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 I could go. So what did I do? I went. And man, it was, it was some bus ride from Chicago all the way down there, but it was fun because I was with my homeboys. So we went. The bus ride was a bus ride, that's all I can say about that. And we got down there, and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, this is it. You know, uh, this Gramlin is only like one, two blocks long. I'm like, that's interesting. But man, I'm here. I've made it. I finally arrived. <laughs> Boy. So we get there, and they're giving us a little tour of the campus, and this and that, and the other. And uh, I'm like, yeah, we're going to have such a great time there. And so we go to bed. And then the next morning, all of a sudden, I hear all this screaming in the hallway. It's time to get up. People are banging on the doors. It's time to get up. I'm like, why are they screaming? Why are they making all this racket at 4.30 in the morning? So I managed to get myself up, you know, go to the shower. You know, shower wasn't too pleasant. It wasn't like a hotel, if you think it was like a hotel, right? It was nothing like that, right? I didn't have clean towels. I had to bring my own stuff, my own shower shoes, and all kind of stuff was going on. I'm like, man, this is really, really uncomfortable, but I'll deal with it. So we make it out to the football field uh, at about 5, 5.15 in the morning, and it's still kind of dark outside. I'm like, we're actually going to work out here? Yes, and they let us work out, and we exercise for about an hour, hour and a half, whatever it was, maybe even two hours. Seven o'clock, they say it's time for breakfast. I'm like, whoo, I can't, I can't wait. Right? We go to breakfast. I'm like, okay, now let's, I just want to go back and lay down. I said, no, 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 no. Now we start practicing. I'm like, start practicing? So we practiced for about three hours, and then they let us go back for about a half hour to our barracks, I mean our, our, our dorms. And uh, um, so we go back, and they come screaming again, and they say, now we've got to go out, we have to practice some more and exercise some more. And man, by the end of that day, it was 10 o'clock at night, and we were still marching on that field. I said, man, why didn't they tell me? Uh, you know, why didn't they tell me all these other little details? They had all year to tell me what was going on in this camp, but nobody said a word. See, in my mind, before I got there, I romanticized what band camp was. See, I think sometimes, uh, uh, we oftentimes romanticize what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, I'm going to come to faith, and then everything is going to be all hunky-dory, and I'm going to be good to go. To follow Jesus Christ means to follow him wherever he goes. That means that we must trust him to lead us to places we may never have ventured before. None of us have been to heaven. None of us knows what today will have in store for us, yet we consider from the inside of us 
you know, to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes, folks, they, uh, we join organizations because of what it can benefit us. Amen? Uh, what that organization uh, what that organization's name can add to our network and, 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 and by the mentioning of that organization's name that we can wow people because we are associated with them. Or even there's the possibility of making a name for ourselves because we are a part of a crusade that will and can impact our community. Somehow, the idea of discipleship, it sounds cool, and it sounds hip. I might be dating myself. I know they don't necessarily say cool and hip anymore, but nevertheless, when I looked up in the dictionary and the history books, I found those words, cool and hip, so I decided to use those today. Matthew 8.19 provides a parallel account of the same story, but here... This individual who's talking to Jesus, he's identified as a scribe, and he calls Jesus teacher. Well, if the scribe calls Jesus teacher, then it implies that this individual, this scribe, that he wants to be Jesus' student. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, guess what? Jesus wants more than a student. Imagine yourself being a student at, at school. You're there to learn and then you leave and you're on your merry way. But does Jesus, does he only want a student? Or does he want more from us? As a matter of fact, students of Judaism, they often live with their teachers in order to learn the Torah. Jesus' vision was more gripping and risking because he just didn't invite them to enter into the word that Jesus invited them to know him. Jesus wanted people and wants us to know him. To follow Jesus means there is a real possibility of suffering. I said it, there it is. There is a real possibility of suffering and even death as it is true in many nations all over this world today. Prison camp doctor who was observing Dietrich Bonhoeffer going to his execution. Remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was the one who stood for righteousness there in Germany as a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But there was a prison camp doctor in his memoirs, in his notes, this is what he says, and I quote. On the morning of that day, between 5 and 6 o'clock, the prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of the court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer. Before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most de deeply moved by the way this unusually lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God would hear his prayer. At the place of execution, he again, this is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said a short prayer. And then... He climbed the steps of the gallow 
brave, and composed. I'm not sure how many of us in this room today that Jesus would call us to such discipleship. But if nothing else, it, it should give us pause to consider how we are living our life as Christ's disciple and what Jesus requires of us. The discussion this first individual had with Jesus was being held while they were in motion, they were walking. You look at the passage, verse 57, as they were going along the road. You don't go along the road being still. You go along the road walking. Jesus says there's no rest, you know, right? Foxes have holes, birds, have, uh, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay. Jesus says uh, there ain't much time to rest. You're going to be my disciple. You're going to get tired. But this person needed to know that his future on earth may not be as sure when he followed Jesus Christ. It is true that Jesus was in the transient state. So for the most part, Jesus didn't have time to go take out a mortgage. Jesus didn't have time to go rent an apartment, a pre-furnished apartment, lease it out for a year. Jesus didn't have time for that. Because his message uh, was too important. His ministry was too impactful for him to set roots. Even when it was time for him to return home, uh, he was not always welcomed. But he was shunned when they rejected his message. Well, I know that some people say that um, when you provide ideas and thoughts to other folks and considerations, that uh, when they reject your ideas, well, honey, they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting what you're saying. But you see, with Jesus, it's not the same. When someone rejects the words of Jesus, guess what? They reject him. When someone rejects the words of Jesus, they reject him. So when you provide the words of life, uh, the words of strength to those who are dying and on their way to hell, and they reject those words, trust me, it is not just words. They are rejecting the personhood of Jesus. You cannot separate the one from the other, and you don't have the option to pick and choose which ones you're going to accept today. Jesus says, take me all or take me not at all. Jesus' kingdom is not static. You can't tell, I can't tell God's kingdom to wait on me. Uh, hold up for a second, would you? His kingdom will not wait on you. His kingdom will not wait on me. As his disciples, uh, you are not only joined with him in relationship, but are joining him with the work of the ministry, which is already in progress. I, I, I love that passage there in Revelations which all those are gathered around the throne of God singing day and night holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and what and is to come night and day they're singing 
holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty. Uh, in my mind, I see us waking up in the morning and say, I can't wait to go and worship the Lord. But as I've mentioned to you before, uh, that we are doing nothing but being linked in to the worship service already in progress. When you get up in the morning, I want you to know that worship service is already going on. When you are asleep at night, I want you to know there are they who are gathered around the throne of God, who are singing day and night, whether you feel good or don't feel good, whether you worship, whether you read your Bible or not, they are singing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We are joining a worship service already in progress. What are you doing with your worship? God's kingdom agenda, his kingdom focus is the same. That when we decide or not decide what to do, that it is moving along. The difference is if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, that God will hold you accountable for what you do or don't do. I mentioned to you again that following Jesus can tire you out. By going where Jesus goes, we must be prepared for the lack of security the world provides as it rejects Jesus and his messengers. If you are a politician and you refuse to re support marriage between anyone other than a man, uh, I should need to say now, a real man and a real woman, uh, that your political career could be doomed. You reject this union not because you hate people, but because it represents uh, some skewed view of what God had intended with marriage. Can't compromise on the message. Your political career can be doomed. If you're ones who are hanging out with your peers, hanging out with your friends, and they celebrate tolerance of religions, oh, don't you know, little Anthony, that you know, all religions, they lead to God. Uh, what, what's right here is also right here, little Jada. Uh, don't you know that every, everybody gets to God in his way? But Jesus says what? I am Ego ain't me. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but except by me. Take that to the bank and try to cash it. You will be alienated for the name of Jesus Christ. Some people in certain places, they're talking about stand your ground. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I just want to stand my ground, right? You get a gun in your hand and you want to stand your ground. Talk about Jesus Christ. And knowing the word says that uh, the, the word of God is the sword, right? It is the sword. This is your weapon. How many of us can stand our ground uh, with this sword in our hand? Are we willing to stand the ground for Jesus Christ with this sword in our hands? Some of us can't. And the reason we can't, because we don't even know what it says in the first place. Because you have not given of your heart and of your soul to study and hear what thus says the Lord. So you never know what thus says the Lord. So you can never give an answer in defense of what you believe in Jesus Christ. So, you can stand there and remain silent while they stomp on and run the name of Jesus Christ in the dirt. Or 
You can stand your ground and you can minister to them. Next. Discipleship invites criticism in favor of radical commitments. <laughs> this is hard. Discipleship invites criticism in favor of radical commitments. Again, verse 59. To one another he said, to, to another he said, follow me. But he said, this is the, uh, the other, another. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. <laughs> Would Jesus really make us choose between him and our parents? Would Jesus have the, talking about the audacity of hope, the audacity of Jesus would Jesus have the audacity to ask us to choose between our family and him? The first person volunteered, we just read, to follow Jesus, but now Jesus invited this second man to follow him. This reminds us of Jesus calling the original disciples to follow him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus told Peter and Andrew, says what? He says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Let's try that one more time. Jesus told them to follow me and I will make you. So Jesus says inherent in the discipleship that if you follow me, if you truly follow me with your heart, your spirit, and your soul, that I'm going to make you fishers of men. You ain't got to make yourself nothing, but I am going to create you the ability, the Holy Spirit draw within you to become fishers of men. Surely these were groundbreaking words that could change the lives of many individuals who were daring enough to go after a man they just met. Well, wait a minute. I just met you. How many of you going to go with the, the next man or woman you see on the street? I know some of you might be a little crazy. You might do that. But how many, most of us, right, most of us would not go with the average person that we meet on the street. Someone knocked on your door and said, hey, uh, what's going on, Brother Marcus? Uh, come on out here with me. Brother Marcus, he might be bad enough to say, oh, okay, I'm coming on out here, but you know, all right, what you got? What you got? He might do that, but not me. So there must have been something about Jesus. You know, they had their thugs during their time as well. People talking about, you know, walking down the Roman, uh, the, the, uh, Roman road, but no one thing, there was no uh, uh, oasis on the Roman road. You couldn't just pick up the phone and call the police when you got in trouble down the Roman road. Know this. Oh, they had their thugs too. So Jesus shows up and says, just follow me. Uh, follow me, Brother Scott, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. There must have been something special about Jesus to enter into this relationship like this. But as we see in the text, Jesus called many people to follow him, yet everyone did not accept. It appears that this man had decided to follow Jesus after he had received the call from Jesus. But this man wanted to delay his entry into the service of ministry until a later time. Why? Because he had other stuff to do. Now mind you, 
It was not your running the mill. Well, I need to first, Jesus, go and make sure that I get all my ducks lined up in a row. And once I get my ducks lined up in a row, then I'm, then I'm going to come to you because I need to make sure this, this Jesus thing is going to work out for me first. I need to be sure that if this Jesus thing don't work out for me, I have a backup plan. I got a plan B. But I think Jesus, what he tells us that I am your plan B, A. I'm your plan B, I'm your plan A, and I'm your plan C. I'm it. This gentleman's father died, and he wanted to go and bury his dad. Man, you know, to our ears, this seems very callous and unnecessarily unyielding. As a matter of fact, if I believe most of us, if this was speaking of us, and Jesus told us uh, to, to, to follow him, and then after that, we said, well, i got to go bury my, my, my dad first. And if Jesus would have told us, well, let the dead bury their own dead, the next verse concerning us would, would read, then that man or woman, whoever you may be, uh, gave uh, Jesus a piece of their mind. Why would Jesus demand such a thing? Why? The ears of the ancient society would have heard this in the same way as us, except even more harshly, because in their minds, with this Jewish audience, they would have also heard the verse, Exodus 20 and 12, which says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. They would have heard that. One of the ways they could honor their parents would be by making sure they were taken care of at a time like this. So, uh, Bible scholars, they have proposed various ways of interpreting this verse, but I'm just going to provide just a, uh, a couple of the major ones which are most important of all. Number one, some have suggested that the parent died, right? So the parent had died, and uh, uh, they had put them in a uh, temporary place uh, for a period of months, but then they had to go back and bury them in a permanent place later. So that's what they're talking about. Another suggestion is that the father was on his sickbed and the son needed to get back to him and, uh, during his final moments and also arrange uh, uh, the, the final arrangements. But I just say this, let's look at the text. What does the text say? The text said that he had to go bury his father. Right? So the text says he had to go bury his father that tells me his father was what? I don't want my son to say, I got to go bury my father and I'm alive, right? No, 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 no. If you hear my son say that about me and you know I'm alive, you tell them I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't think that was the case. This is likely this idea that this son, he just needed to go and bury his father. So regardless of the explanation that's provided, it doesn't come from my soul, not one little itty bitty bit. Because we have allowed the man to do what he needed to do, right? He really wanted to go ahead and bury his father, but that's not comforting to me, knowing that Jesus said this, and then this is going on in my own household. This doesn't make me feel any better. If that were me, right, in my own earthly, fleshly wisdom, I simply would have said, you know what, young man? Go ahead and bury your father. That's what I would have said. 
Go ahead and bury your father. And as a matter of fact, let me send some other brothers with you to go and help you. That's what I would have said, right? But uh, be forewarned, I am not God. I'm not God, so don't listen to that. Listen to what God is saying to us today. It's interesting that right when we think we have and we know all things about God and we have them all figured out, he goes and does something like this on us. Matthew 19 and 29. Matthew 19, verse 29. Listen to what Jesus says. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What? What? Jesus really does dare to challenge our loyalty for him over our own family. Look at that again, Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I want you to see this. And also, I'm also going to Ephesians 5, 31, 32. I want you to look at this with new eyes. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one, one flesh. So when a person marries their spouse, their primary loyalties are no longer with that parent, but with that spouse. <laughs> now this doesn't mean it's okay now to treat your mother and your father like dirt. Alright? So even though you are to leave and cleave, nowhere in scripture does it ever say to treat your parents like dirt. Or even ignore them for that matter. Why? Because the bottom line, no matter how you shake it, it is wrong and God does not honor that. But I'm heading, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. Towards a biblical and a spiritual pathway. Ephesians 5, 31, 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become flesh, one flesh. We just read that back in Genesis chapter 2. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What mystery? What mystery? What mystery? Where is the mystery? Where is the mystery? Here it is. Marriage represents not only the love and commitment that a man has for a woman and a woman has for a man, love that they have towards one another, but marriage also represents the, the leaving, the departing of a former way of living in favor of a new way to live. So the mystery in that is that by being in Christ Jesus, that what marriage represents is a leaving from sin and a living in 
righteousness. So uh, the mystery is indeed profound, and it is the leaving of the one in favor of the other. So what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to marry him, then commit and don't go back to your single life of sin. Jesus says that if you're going to marry him, and guess what, guys? I know it's unmasculine. It sounds really, really weird. But you know, uh, I need to say this for the recording as well. Lest someone takes it out of context uh, that I'm not speaking of the weirdness of man and man. I'm speaking of the loving relationship that God has for us. So we enter into this relationship, this marriage relationship, this covenant, this committed relationship with God, and we leave behind all those things that were not productive for us. So if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, then how can you ask him for a prenuptial agreement? Jesus, I, I want to do this discipleship Thing, but I need a prenup first. I want to say, Jesus, I will commit my heart, my life to you in all that I am. I will give you my soul, my heart, uh, but there's a few things we have to be aware of first. First, if my father comes first, then Jesus, you second. If my mother comes first, then Jesus, you second. If my kids come first, then Jesus, you second. Jesus says no. Uh-uh. No, I'm not going to have that. I will be first in your life. <laughs> now, I'm not sure how many of us uh, would be placed in this position, but rest assured, if it's not an issue concerning your parents, it will be with someone or something else that you deeply endear. So it may, Jesus may not call you. He, he may not call you in a situation like this individual. He, that may not be the issue with you. But what he may do, he may call you an area of your job. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. With a friendship that you may have had. Well, I hope the Lord, you know, called me into a relationship with him so I can lead this woman out of marriage. No, he wouldn't do that. Just because of what, uh, the, uh, what marriage represents. In other words... Don't offer the Lord excuses why you can't enter into discipleship. Do not offer the Lord excuses for why you cannot enter into discipleship, but yet let your yes be yes or your no be no. Dig into your heart right now and ask yourself what excuses or roadblocks have you purposely put in the way to avoid doing what the Lord requires of you today. What is the risk of choosing discipleship over family? If your families are disciples of Jesus, they may or may not understand your decision to follow him immediately and fully. I say may not because some Christians are not mature enough to handle these words. If your family members are not disciples of Jesus, then, then there is no 50% chance that they may or may not understand. You can just assume they're not going to understand at all. In this case, you can prepare to be berated and ostracized for the name of Jesus Christ. You may risk being separated from your family the rest of the days of your life. 
But again, isn't this exactly what we saw in the passage about marriage as the husband and wife as they leave their parents in favor of a new commitment with one another? This goes far beyond just your family berating you, but will also spread into the community as they look upon you, look upon us with contempt. It is the strangeness about our faith that many cannot accept, many cannot agree. Of course, there are other major issues like the resurrection and redemption. But in Christ, you get a new and a bigger family. We are indeed brothers and sisters in the Lord. Black, white, yellow, brown, anything else in between. Those who name the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are all part of God's family. Matthew 12, verse 46 to 49. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. You are my brothers. You are my sisters if you are in Christ. For your commitment to radical discipleship, you may be uh, criticized harshly. But be encouraged and know that God has your back. And it will all work out when it matters the most. Finally, write this one down. Discipleship may introduce regret for where you are. Discipleship may introduce regret for where you are because you always want to be where you've been. Discipleship may provide regret for where you are because your heart is always where you've been. Luke 9, verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, we can be so engrossed with our past that we don't understand the urgency of God's kingdom. And we kind of talked about that before. When you are focused on a task, you give that task your full attention, right? When you have something to do and you need to do it, you need to do it well. What do we do? We focus on it. Now, if you... Have ever flown a plane, and if you ever uh, aspire to fly uh, in a plane again, one of the things that you definitely want, one of the things I want is for that pilot to be focused. Amen? Especially when that plane is taken off, and when that plane, especially, right, when it's taken off and when it's landed. We don't want that pilot to be thinking about uh, the argument he had with his mailman because he hasn't been getting all his mail. We don't want that pilot thinking about that. We don't want that pilot thinking about, oh man, I need to get in my grass. I need some more fertilizer because I noticed there were some brown spots and my neighbors was telling me, you need to do this. We don't want that pilot thinking about that either, right? We don't want that pilot thinking about the argument he may or may not have had with his wife before he got in the plane. We want that pilot to be focused on the control panel and out that window and making sure that plane is flying smoothly. I don't know about you. Maybe some of you said, well, it's okay for his mind to uh, kind of lose focus and go somewhere else. But for me, no. I want him to be focused. 
And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. He's also talking about focused discipleship. Focused on him. Why? Because there will always be things to come in your way. One of the inter interesting things about preaching the word of God. I'll let you in on one of our secrets, right? One of the interesting things about uh, preaching the word of God is the amount of things that can try to get you to lose focus. To prevent you from focusing in what God is trying to say to his people. Always types, all things. That's why me and the brethren, we spend time over in our room across the way praying before we get in here. Man, because that, that enemy is, is active. I, I can't tell you uh, the number of times I've sat right in this chair and a thought has come to my mind, you're going to preach that? Really? You need to just throw that in the garbage and just start over again. This is, I'm talking about right before I get up. What do you think I'd be doing up here? I'd be praying. I, I hope that you are praying with me as well because this word is too important because you have to receive the revelation that is inherent in God's word. Important for me as well. Jesus wants our full attention. Excuses abound in the body of Christ. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of the ministry, but I can't do it now. Oh, yeah, I'm going to work in the ministry, but I can't do it now. Well, I'm gonna, how long do I got to wait, brother? Well, give me another year, then I'll be ready. A, a whole year passed then, year two. Uh, I, I'm going to go, but uh, I, I'm almost ready. Give me another year. And then another year passes. Uh, well, I'm almost ready. Give me another year. Next thing you know, you have not done what God has called you to do because you're waiting on somebody else. You either are a disciple of Jesus Christ or you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. What are you? Jesus puts it bluntly and says that if you really don't know how important and urgent the things of the Lord are, then you are not fit for his kingdom. To be fit for God's kingdom means to be useful, suitable, or appropriate. Have you ever gone shopping for shoes and, and you eyeballed a pair that you really, really liked? And you call that person, would you bring me this pair of shoes? You say, yeah, it's really, it's going to be a really, I'm going to look sharp in those shoes, right? And they bring those shoes and all of a sudden, the, the, the very first, this, this is what happens to me, right? The first thing I notice is that the pair of shoes that I selected, they don't look quite as neat and clean as the ones up on the shelf. They say, well, sir, because, you know, you wear a size 15, so uh, the size 15, no, I don't, I wear a size 12, but uh, you know the bigger size is not going to look nice and neat and supple like the little bitty one, the little bitty nines. So you get over that first little hurt, right? And they bring you the shoe and you put it on. You say, man, I thought those shoes looked, they're going to be all right, but I look kind of funny in them. But nevertheless, what did we do? We go ahead and lace them up anyway, right? And then we start walking on the carpet and say, yeah, you know, I, yeah, there's, a, oh, well, there, there, there's a little something right there when I walk, but maybe I'll be all right. Now, let me walk on a hard surface, right? You know, a lot of shoe stores today, uh, they got all carpet in the place because they don't want you to walk on a hard surface. You walk on a hard surface, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, something, something wrong with those shoes, right? So what happens is, uh, when, when things are not fitting right, eventually you just reject them. Jesus says in his kingdom, he says, if I am not a perfect fit for you, you don't have to worry about rejecting me because I have already rejected you. 
Jesus asked us if we are fit for his kingdom by asking us to consider whether or not we have counted the cost to join him in his grand adventure. What does being a disciple of Jesus cost? It costs more than you think. You better believe that. But Jesus is calling us today to get on track and get where we need to be with him and his plan. There's plenty at stake. But I think what Jesus is telling us today, to put up or shut up, what are you going to do? Let's pray.